Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry, and today I'm going to tell you the story of a wife and mom named Sherry Papini. In 2016, she was kidnapped by two women and 22 days later, she is found. As she begins telling people what happened, her story is inconsistent and some people are skeptical that it is a hoax. I ask throughout this episode that you keep an open mind and let me know what you think happened. This is the case of Sherry Papini. This story takes place in Redding, California, which is just north of Sacramento. On November 2nd, 2016, a beautiful fall day, Sherry is home by herself. Her two children are at daycare. So every day she would drop these kids off at daycare and they are two and four. I'm not sure why the two little kids were in daycare in the first place. Sherry is a stay-at-home mom, but it's not my money and I guess some people can afford to send their kids to full-time daycare while they stay home and do yoga and go for runs. Maybe it was so that the kids could make friends and have something to do all day. Her husband, Keith, is at work. She texts him at 10.30 a.m. and asks if he's going to come home for lunch. He tells her it's a crazy busy day and that he wouldn't be taking lunch. She decides to go for a run. She plugged her earbuds into her cell phone and off she goes. At 5.50 p.m., Keith comes home from work and his wife isn't home like he, like she always is. He discovers that their two children did not get picked up from daycare that day either. His wife picks them up from daycare faithfully every day, but today she didn't. So she's been gone for a few hours by the time Keith got home and noticed she wasn't there. He doesn't call her phone. He just knows something is wrong. So he uses the Find My iPhone app to locate her phone. He drives out to where the phone is pinging, which is on a trail about one mile from their house. He's hoping he's going to find his wife there. Instead, he finds her phone on the ground with the earbuds carefully wrapped neatly around the phone and sitting on top of the screen. There's also some really long blonde strands of hairs tangled in the headphones. Keith calls the police and tells them that she would never abandon her children and something has happened to her. He is then brought in for questioning. This is a normal procedure. Anytime a spouse goes missing, the other spouse is the first person questioned. It's just protocol. He tells them they had no issues at home. She wasn't a substance abuser. There's no medical problems. They had no real marital issues. They were able to confirm his whereabouts for the whole day. So Keith worked at Best Buy, and there's like a million cameras throughout the store. He's also given a polygraph, and he passes. And the police immediately rule him out as a suspect. The police say they're dealing with a kidnapping here. Someone picked her up. Sherry was last seen wearing a pink and black running top. She is 34 years old, white female, 5 foot 4 inches tall, 100 pounds, blonde hair, and blue eyes. For the next three weeks, Keith is making tearful pleas on the news. He's begging whoever has her to let her go. The police are asking anyone with information on her disappearance to come forward. The police are out daily with their K-9 units. There's helicopter searches. This town is stressing out and everyone is out searching every day trying to locate Sherry. A lot of people are talking about the person that Sherry is. She is described as this super mom who loves to cook. 
She was crafty and loved home design. She kept a beautiful house and just an all-American good mom and how sad it was that this beautiful young woman disappeared. They did balloon releases and candlelight vigils. The family starts a GoFundMe, and the donated funds would go towards helping with the search. It reaches $49,000 pretty quickly. Now, this is not reward money. This is just to assist with their bills while Keith is out searching every day and not able to work. It could be to use infrared technology. It could be used to bring in a psychic. It was never stated what this money actually went to. Some of the donors nowadays are concerned because they want to know where their money went. But there are no real updates from the family on the GoFundMe page, just a couple thank yous. So I can't tell you guys where the money went, but the GoFundMe is still up today, and now it's loaded with comments from donors wanting to know if they're going to be paid back or if some of the money was donated to the police department for all the hard work they did. It's a real mess on that page. You guys can check it out and read all the comments if you want to. So Sherry is missing, and three days after she's gone, there is this anonymous man who is traveling, and he's watching the news, and he sees Keith and his two children pleading for help finding Sherry and for her captors to please release her. Well, this man is so compelled by this that he offers money for her safe return. He had never met the family before. He just felt moved by Keith's pleas on TV. When asked why he wanted to remain anonymous, he said, It's never been about me. I've had all the recognition in life one man could ever want, and I don't need any more. Keith initially declined the money because he didn't want to take away from the search efforts. Five days later, with no sign of his wife, Keith contacted the anonymous donor to see if he was still interested in offering this large amount of reward money. He was interested, but he said he wanted a community member to be the mediator between the two because he wanted to remain anonymous. And to me, this honestly isn't strange at all. He doesn't want to put himself out there to protect his privacy, and he's just doing this good deed that he doesn't really have to do. So the member that is picked to be the mediator is a guy named Cameron who lives in Sherry's community. Cameron is a real upstanding guy and actually trains uh, teenage missionaries who are going to other countries on how to survive if they are held captive. He's also trained to be a negotiator. So he's just the kind of person they need to do this negotiating. Cameron meets with the anonymous donor and Keith, and they decide to offer $50,000 for the return of Sherry with no questions asked. Cameron records a video asking the captors to set her free. They will send them $50,000, and that will be the end of it. This video aired on TV and online. They said the deadline would be November 21st. This would give the captors three days to hand her over. The three days came and went. Keith, Cameron, and the anonymous donor decide to up the money to $100,000. But it wouldn't be reward money this time. It would instead be a bounty. So Cameron records a new video. He stated that whoever could find the folks responsible for Sherry's abduction would get the $100,000 from this anonymous donor. The following day, a woman named Allison Sutton is driving down the highway at 4 o'clock a.m., and it's very early on Thanksgiving morning, and she has her 14-year-old daughter with her. She noticed a very small woman on the side of the highway waving a piece of fabric of some sort. She screams that her name is Sherry Papini. Now, it is pretty cold outside. Like I said, it's Thanksgiving morning. She is only wearing a T-shirt and, like, some shorts. 
Her long blonde hair had been cut off. She had cuts and bruises and a broken nose. She weighed 87 pounds. There's some grainy surveillance footage out there that I'll talk to you guys about in a little bit, but I just want you guys to remember this scene. This woman is pulled over trying to help her, and even to this day, she still believes Sherry. She said she had a look on her that she had really been through some shit. She told the woman she had been kidnapped by two Hispanic women and held captive for the last three weeks. Alice calls 911, and Sherry is taken to the hospital. She gets checked out and reunited with her family, and then she sits down with the sheriff to get questioned. Sherry says she was out running and was taken by two Hispanic women in a van. One had straight hair, one has curly hair, one was old, and one was young. They both had bandanas over their mouths so they couldn't see the bottom half of their face, which nowadays, you know, years later, this is a typical look due to the COVID-19 situation. She said the women only spoke Spanish, so she couldn't understand anything that they were saying the entire time she was held. They blindfolded her and took her to a dark cell somewhere, and they held her for 22 days. They beat her often. She said after 22 days, they loaded her into the van and dropped her back off on the side of the highway. About 10 days later, Keith sits down on national television to explain what happened to Sherry. He said the only thing that kept her alive was she was thinking about her husband and her two children, and that's what gave her the strength to stay alive and fight for her life. He said her weeks in captivity have psychologically altered her. She is having recurring nightmares. She has to keep the lights on all the time. And he doesn't know how to deal with this because, you know, she's this way all the time and he's he just doesn't know how to handle it. He said the sound of a door closing in the house makes her very scared. Since this happened to Sherry, she has not given any interviews. I imagine a million different TV shows would have offered a lot of money for an interview, but they were all declined. She has only been spotted in public two times since the kidnapping, once was eating pizza with her family. People called the finding of Sherry a Thanksgiving miracle, and the community is very happy, and everyone's praising the police department for all the hard work that they did. Sherry is home safe with her family. But then people start to question some of the odd details and her story begins to become bizarre and people think she isn't being truthful about what happened. Even the police are scratching their heads. I'm going to talk to you guys about some of the odd findings and remember that some of these are speculations so you have to keep an open mind in order to appreciate it. So let's discuss. So it was initially thought that maybe Sherry was a victim of sex trafficking. Well, 99% of sex trafficking incidents are young girls or boys that are in terrible homes or homeless drug addicts. It's very rare that a middle-aged suburban mom is taken. I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. It's just extremely rare. Sherry's hair was cut, and this is usually done to humiliate the prisoner, and it's usually cut very short or just shaved completely off. Well, Sherry had very long blonde hair, and her hair was instead cut to her shoulders, and it wasn't like haphazardly cut. It was cut straight and still able to be put in a ponytail or styled. 
Now, when it comes to sex trafficking, the captors usually don't cut the person's hair, nor are they beaten because they want their victim to appear desirable. They have to be able to sell this product. Beating them and cutting their hair off isn't going to do that because you want to keep them looking decent. There were no signs that Sherry had been sexually abused or raped. She also stated that she was not given any drugs. So the idea that she was a sex trafficking victim was thrown out. Sherry's injuries seemed superficial. She was literally in the hospital for just a few hours and then released. When you think of someone who was held captive for three weeks and starved and beaten, you think they would have at least a one-week stay in the hospital to recover. So there is this Reddit forum where they're discussing the case, and this one user stated that they are a family member of either Sherry or Keith. They won't say which one. In order to comment on this thread, they have to somehow prove their relationship to the family, to the moderator of the forum, and they did. So this is a legit family member that was screened before they were even allowed to contribute to the conversation. The person says that Sherry did a lot of things to get attention in the past, and she acted out a lot. She also had an addiction to benzodiazepine. They believe Sherry felt her life was getting boring, so she decides to make up this whole story so she can have a lot of attention on her for just a little bit of time. They also state that 13 years prior, Sherry's mother had to call police on her because she was hurting herself and telling her mom that she was going to blame it on her. Her mom told the 911 operator this wasn't the first time Sherry had done this, so she wanted it formally documented in case Sherry went to the police and said, my mom gave me all these injuries. She's also been accused by family members of vandalism and stealing money. This was years before her disappearance, but I still thought you guys should know. Sherry stated the two women that picked her up were Mexican, and one was old and one was young and and their hairstyles. They did find two women with criminal histories, and they matched these descriptions in their town, but they were both incarcerated on drug charges at the time of Sherry's disappearance. Now their photos were taken, and they were on the news for their drug bust, for this, this big drug bust, a couple weeks before Sherry's disappearance. People speculate that this is what triggered Sherry's thoughts to the two Mexican women, even if it was subconscious. The next thing is the bandanas. Sherry stated the women were wearing bandanas over the bottom half of their faces. Three days prior to the kidnapping was Halloween. Sherry, Keith, and the kids had dressed up as cowboys, and they had like this family Western theme. They wore bandanas covering the bottom of their faces as part of the costume. This may have subconsciously been where she got the idea of the bandanas from. The next thing would be Sherry's online stuff. So a thread gets resurrected from years before, and it's on this white supremacist board. It's called skinheads.com. Well, there is a user with Sherry's maiden name, Sherry Graff, who was going on about how being white was superior and just saying a lot of racist shit. Sherry adamantly denies that she was the one who posted that years before. People also found her Pinterest board. It's been deleted because I checked. She has this board that contains memes and photos, and a lot of them refer to being white and proud and deport the Mexicans and the Muslims. The board was titled Cultural Differences. 
18 years prior to this, in 1998, when Sherry was 16, she had a best friend named Tara Smith. Now, Tara disappeared from the exact same road that Sherry disappeared, except Tara was never found. And it was a very sad story. Lots of online talk that Sherry was inspired by her friend Tara's disappearance and that she wanted that same level of attention that Tara got. They also looked really similar in in appearance. Like the girls both have, um, you know, blue eyes and long blonde hair and they're considered pretty attractive. Perhaps the most damning evidence is when Sergeant Jackson of the Mount Shasta Police Department said he had proof that Sherry had been texting a man in Michigan daily for months. He won't say what the text messages said. They communicated up until two days before Sherry's disappearance, and they had talked about meeting up. Well, this guy has to cancel because of reasons for work or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the reason was, but he told Sherry, I can't meet up with you. I'm sorry. So the police go to his house in Michigan, and they are able to rule him out. The police won't give much info, but they say this man she was communicating with is not a suspect. He also had an alibi that placed him in Michigan at the time of her disappearance, which was in California. Some think that Sherry was so upset that he canceled his trip to visit her and that she staged her abduction to get his attention. Now, there was DNA found on Sherry that belonged to a man and a woman. Um, The the police ran the DNA, and it didn't match anything in their CODIS uh, DNA database. Um, and, and the male DNA did not match her husband, nor did it match the man in Michigan. Sherry told investigators there were no men around the whole time she was held captive, and she had no idea where it came from. A guy named Ken Ryan, who has been in law enforcement for 25 years and teaches criminology at California State University, talked to Newsweek about this case as they reached out to him since he is an expert in law enforcement. Ken said he believes this story is false. The two female suspects do not fit the profile of kidnappers and torturers because they, number one, number one, they're women, and also because they have gotten away with it and nothing has happened again. People who do this kind of stuff are usually repeat offenders. Ken also said, in my 25 years, I've never seen a case like this where someone was kidnapped, held captive for 20-something days, and then just released. My biggest question here is that if Sherry was truly kidnapped, what was the motive? She was not sexually assaulted. There was a lot of money offered, and there wasn't anyone on the phone asking for ransom money. So they they didn't take her for sex or money. Did they just kidnap her for 22 days just to beat her and then set her free? It doesn't make much sense. Some time goes by, and the police find this surveillance footage that was taken at a church parking lot a couple hours before Sherry was found. This was released by the police, and it's very grainy, but it shows Sherry running around, and she's running in circles, and people think she is trying to work up a sweat before she is found. Some ask why she isn't looking in the windows or trying to get into the church. Well, remember, it's like 3 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, and I'm sure she knew no one was in the church. Either way, the footage is strange, and it definitely raises questions. You can find it on YouTube. I've watched the footage, and you can see her dart across the parking lot, and then she stops for a minute, and then she runs back across the parking lot again. 
Did Sherry plan this whole thing? We know she had a secret relationship. Was her life that boring and she wanted attention? Remember, she was home all day while her husband worked and her kids were in daycare. I think there's a lot of things you could do to shake up your life instead of staging a kidnapping. She could have gotten a job or taken her kids out of daycare for starters. From what I can find, it seems like 90% of people don't believe what happened to Sherry was true. Sherry and her husband Keith and their children are currently living with wealthy relatives, according to one report I read. Her neighbors say she never leaves the house. Maybe she left to start a new life and then she saw her kids and husband on TV and she changed her mind. She decides to go back, but now she has to make up this elaborate story. So she runs around the parking lot to get sweaty and then she hurts herself and claims she was kidnapped and beaten. Maybe she just wanted the attention. Or maybe she truly was kidnapped. I don't think this was about money. Remember, she's turned down a lot of national interviews, which would pay her very well. It could also be that she is embarrassed that her story is cracked. Sherry was never given a polygraph. The police department stated it's not a proper thing to give a victim a polygraph. It's just not good practice, which I agree with. I think the Mount Shasta Police Department don't believe Sherry's story, but they can't say that out loud because they don't want to appear to be victim blaming. That would look really bad on their part. So they just continue to say the case is closed and something will eventually come out. It's been over a year and there hasn't been any real news or updates about this whole case. I did find this strange Facebook page and they call themselves the real supporters of Sherry Papini. They make it clear that they do not believe her story that she was kidnapped, but they still want her to recover and they want to give her the, their best wishes and support. They state everyone makes mistakes and she deserves to go on with life again and come out of hiding. Today, the FBI is still offering $10,000 for info which would locate the two women who are responsible. If you have any information that could lead to the women responsible for Sherry's kidnapping, please call the Mount Shasta Police Department. That's it for today. Let me know your thoughts on the case below and take care. And as always, much love to you all.